Please stand for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The scripture this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, beginning with verse 31. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of, of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He explained, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood this? 
They answered, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Thank you, Judy. It's a mouthful of parables. Uh, I'm delighted to be back at Davidson United Methodist Church. I think this is four years running, uh, and I'm incredibly grateful for Shane for inviting me back uh, to see my friend, my friend Kevin, who I remember as but a boy when he started here, when I was but a boy, but it's so good to see him. And uh, Virginia, you can come up to High Point anytime and sing. And Diane, thank you for the warm welcome. Um, as Diane said, uh, my name is Preston Davis. I'm the minister at High Point University. Uh, I've been fortunate to be pastor of that university now for, for seven years, going on eight. I was but a boy when I started there, Kevin. And it's the delight of my life to get to minister to young adults and to see them grow into people God has called them to be. And a lot of it's through parables like these that they get a deeper sense of their life and their calling. And our calling together, a new way of seeing the world. It was about when I was 18, I don't know how it happened, but somehow stumbled into Davidson College. They let me in. I don't know how it happened. And Davidson professors are very cruel. Uh, Judy's husband was a chemistry pre professor for years at Davidson, and he, I'm sure he was a lovely man. But they do these things where they give you tests, but they call them reviews. And so you may, unbeknownst to you, show up to a test thinking you're getting a review. Here's the thing at Davidson, too. They, they make you read un ungodly amounts of books. And what happens to you, if you haven't yet uh, had glasses, you will surely get them from all the reading. I found myself at one point uh, not able to keep focus on, on the words. The words were, were getting small, and I had to go see a, uh, an optometrist. So I stumbled down the street, just down here, to Dr. Eiler's office, not par far past the church. And... And he does what all optometrists do. He, he puts you in front of those lenses and he says this or this, one or two. And two is always better than one until the end. You get a sense of it getting clearer. And I think there's something in these parables that they're like one or two. You get a sense of can, can you see the world in a new way? Can you hear God calling in a new way? Can you sense a new way of being in this world? Is it one or two? Jesus gives us several items to think about this morning. Uh, a mustard seed, some yeast, and this pearl of great price. I, a parable that Jesus says he's not going to talk any other way than in parables. And a parable, if you just cut down the word in some ways, par, uh, parable, para, it's a comparison of two things. But, but the second part of that bowl, it's, it's the same root as ballistics. It's like, it's as if Jesus, what he's always wanted to do, even with his words, is get inside your heart and, and turn you inside out so you might see things differently, you might be differently, that he might help the world reshape into a new era. The mustard seed, uh, how many sermons have we heard about the mustard seed? Uh, it's perhaps the most familiar of these. And uh, the, the best sermon I ever heard on the mustard seed was when I was a little boy, and uh, it was in a children's sermon. Uh, this is really risky stuff, these children's sermons. 
But this is what happened. Our, our uh, youth pastor and all his wiriness and energy, he, he shows up and he had this huge box wrapped up. And he had, he had a really small box wrapped up. And, and he said it was his birthday that week. And he said, well, which, which present should I open? Which one? And the kids, this is easy. It's like, man, you, the big one. The, the big one. You could have thousands of little ones in the big one. And so he tears open the big one. Of course, it's, it's nothing but a bunch of old men's New Balance shoes for mowing grass or something. And we're like, eh, who wants that? And he said, well, let's see what's in the small box. And he opens it up, and it's just a small, delicate, golden cross. And the image has never left me. It seems like the most simple lesson of something small becoming really grand and having far more worth than you could imagine. But we forget this all the time. We think we're clever. We dress it up in other ways. I run into this with students all the time. Students, uh, they learn from their parents and those who've gone before them, and they want to have big, grand lives. They want to make an impact, whatever that means. They want to be huge. They want their life to have import. We all do. It's not bad. It's as if, though, they have to learn like, to, to gain the world or gain their life so that they can really figure out that what they were supposed to do all along was to lose their life for something beautiful. Where I get anxious about this is when we bring God into it. And so often I'll have clever people, myself included sometimes, but clever people and students will come to me like, I, I think God wants me to do something huge with my life. I'll say, tell me more. Why? I don't know. It's, I just, I'm, I think I'm supposed to do something big. I remember this conversation one time with a student. And he just, I thought, I want to do some, I want to do amazing things for God, he said. I saw him just a year ago. I've been in High Point seven years now. He's a father of two little boys now. And I said, do you still feel like you want to do amazing things for God? And he said, yeah, but it's, it's different. I, I don't think I want to do amazing things for God anymore. And I said, what? He said, I, I just want to do things for an amazing God. One or two. Can you see? Bit of difference. It's that old Mother Teresa quote, right? We can't all do grand things, but we can do all things with great love. It helps us even rehear the epistles, too, that I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Maybe it's not huge things. Maybe it's day in, day out things with lots of love, deep compassion, tons of generosity. Do you see? Do you see? You see the difference? One or two. I'd never really paid attention to it before, but did you hear in the parable, like, the purpose of the tree? The purpose of the mustard seed? I'd never paid attention to this before. I'd only paid attention to how small it was and that it could be imbued with great value. But this mustard seed, it grows into something large, actually. It does become big. It does become grand in time. And it becomes a place of sanctuary for the birds. They nest in its branches. It's got a purpose. This rings in my ears differently this summer. We've had tons of horrific events this summer, not least of which is COVID. But we've witnessed the death of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. But when I hear this passage and I hear these birds who take rest in this tree, I, I can't help but think of Christian Cooper, who was birding in New York City. That means bird watching. And 
Christian Cooper, a large black man, he's, he's watching these birds. And if you, you see some of the videos, he was on Good Morning America. I saw a clip, and he just absolutely delights. You can see his chin is raised. He's watching these birds who are free, and they're singing. And he can name every song, and he can name every bird, and he's utterly lost in delight. But if you hadn't seen the video, what happened one morning is he was in Central Park, and a, a white woman had her dog without on the leash, and he said, would you please put the dog on the leash? And she said, I'm calling the cops on you to say a black man's harassing me. And she did. And she weaponized her privilege. Now I think about this passage. I think about how we see people who can be dehumanized over time and degraded. And I think of Greg Boyle's words of what are Christians, what are we supposed to do? Our job is to stand with the despised so the despising will stop. Our job is to come alongside the dispossessed and degraded so that we will stop throwing human beings away. I mean, can you imagine, can you see it? Can you imagine a people who've learned to be like sturdy branches, as strong as a cross? People who've learned not just to go to sanctuaries, but to be sanctuary. People who've learned not just to listen to parables, but to become parables. Can you see it? One or two. Get inside your heart. Make you walk into this world another way. God rest his soul. John Lewis is right. Yeah, it's probably going to make us get in some good trouble. But it's good. And Jesus puts it in another way. He says there's end of an age coming and there's wailing and gnashing of teeth when that end of age comes. God, I hope we're at end of age in some ways. But if you pay attention to the Christian story long enough, there's always resurrection. There's a new age coming. And Jesus helps us practice the future now. To be in the world differently now. It's not just praise resurrection, but to practice it. One or two. You see? Jesus keeps talking. He says, not just this mustard seed, right? The kingdom of heaven, it's like yeast that a woman takes and she mixes it in with wheat. Three measures of wheat. It's an amazing amount of wheat. It's like 10 to 15 pounds of wheat. It would make for like 150, it'd feed 150 people. Just imagine the amount of bread. It's another loaves and fishes story. It's about something small that has so much generosity packed into it. It's absolutely gorgeous. I'd always focused on this unlikely hero of the woman, like you never think about this in an early patriarchal society, but it's this woman who's the bearer of the kingdom of heaven. It's absolutely beautiful. But something else again has struck me this time that I hadn't seen before. And you heard it, uh, the way Judy read it, is that the, the, the yeast was mixed in with the wheat. Well, that's actually a bad translation for us. It's she hid the yeast in the wheat. Most of my conversations as a pastor right now are on how much it feels like hope is hidden right now, about where is God right now. I can see the challenges so clearly. I can see the uncertainties so clearly, but where is the hope? It feels so hidden right now. I'm a parent of young kids, and I know the parents of young kids, if you're watching right now, it doesn't feel like, as one of my professors said this week, it doesn't feel like school is approaching. It feels like a a collision is approaching in some ways. 
hope feels so hidden to so many of us right now. And this gospel says it's mixed in there somewhere. It's hidden, but it's, it's mixed in. It's going to need some people who see better. It's going to need a leader, a savior, who helps us see better. Now, the week before, many of us went into quarantine. I had the great privilege. I took 10 students to a, a Cistercian monastery outside of Charleston. And what we did was simple but very difficult. We entered into the prayer life of these monks for a week. I was so proud of these students, I can't even begin to tell you. They were waking up at 3.45 every morning to take part in Compline, or not Compline, but morning vespers and then prayers. And they did it five to six times a day until the evening. And you'd go to bed by 8 because you knew you had to be up at 3.30. But we got to introduce them to some incredible depth of prayer life. And college students, a lot of them, they're, they're so anxious about their lives ahead, they want certainty, just like any of us. We want to know it's going to be okay. But Jesus has never promised us certainty. He's always promised us unending love and immense grace. And so as they began to enter into this prayer life, they, they got a different way of seeing, and we got to introduce them to that great Cistercian monk Thomas Merton and to introduce him to that famous prayer of his which many of you probably know and I'll share it with you now you can close your eyes if it helps you see it he says my Lord God I have no idea where I'm going I do not see the road ahead of me I cannot know for certain where it will end nor do I really even know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope to have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. You see it? Maybe hidden, but it's mixed in there. That we do not walk alone, even in the valley, even in the valley of the shadow of death. That there's generosity coming, and prayerfully through us, as we follow even closer to this one who set us free. The final parable—it's it's perhaps my favorite one here. And he tells it in two different ways. He tells it about a treasure. Jesus tells it about a treasure that's buried in fields. And the one who finds it buys that whole field just so he can has the have the treasure. Or, or, or the pearl of great price. And I love this image. That this pearl merchant, he, he, he finds this pearl so captivating that he sells all that he has so that he can have the pearl. I remember once having a discussion about this with students. And it was fantastic. 
A young woman's brow was furrowed as she analyzed this parable. And I looked at her and said, everything okay? She said, I'm not sure. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, if he sells all that he has to have the pearl, it wouldn't make him rich. It, it, it would leave him to poverty. He wouldn't have anything. I said, maybe. And she said, well, what value does the pearl have if, if you have to sell it in order to, to live? And I was like, well, if you seek out the pearl's value for selling rather than its innate worth, Do you see? And she said, I, I'm, I guess it raises the question for me, she said. Does he possess the pearl? Or does the pearl possess him? One or two. Do you see it? We're so often groping for life and we're already in the palms of our creator, the one who searched us and known us, who knows our rising up and our falling down, who's ever acquainted with our ways, and shall not leave us to face our perils alone. He gives us a new vision for life, a new way of being in the world with one another when we need it most. One or two. Thanks be to God.